I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. Perspective is is so important. Being able to take the long view is so important. Even when you're doing things that, as you say, you don't particularly like, you know, in the back of your head should always be, how can I build on this? What is this teaching me about myself, about my abilities, about my um, ability to interact with, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. But you can always learn and grow, even from experiences that feel like they're dead end. Dr. Julia Heath provides a humorous account of her career experiences, and she's very funny in this podcast. It took her some time to determine where her career interests were, but once she realized it was economics, she was hooked and never looked back. Julia relates her difficult experiences with being the only woman on faculty at a university economics department and how she was treated. She's a feminist and believes women need to stay open to opportunities and claim their voices. Enjoy listening to Dr. Julia Heath. Today I have with me Julia Heath, who is a PhD and a professor of economics. And since 2012, she's been the director of the Economics Center at University of Cincinnati here in town. She spent 26 years at the University of Memphis, and her areas of specialization are labor economics, human capital, quantitative methods, operations research, and you have many, many awards in your field, and you've published many articles, very impressive background and impressive career. Um, your career is about 40 years uh, in length, like about like mine is. Oh, holy been. cow. I wish I hadn't years. said that. <laughs> Sometimes I tell people mine's like more than 35 years, just so we don't say 40. <laughs> um, but we've been through, we lived through the 80s and the 90s. And uh, we're career women at that time. So welcome. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Glad to have you here. So let's start just by telling us a little bit about your career, um, where where you started and um, why you decided to go into economics and, uh, you know, where you are now. Okay. Uh, Well, I I graduated with an undergrad degree from Bluffton. Then it was college. Now it's university. It's it's an exit off of (laughs) I-75 north of here. Is it in Bluffton, Ohio? It's in Bluffton, Ohio. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's um, just a little bit north of Lima. So small college. Very small. It's a Mennonite school. Okay. Um, When I went there, it was about 600 Mm -hmm. students. Um, I, I loved it. I thrived in small, so um, a big university was not going to be for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I graduated with a double major in sociology and psychology, and I minored in math. Um, did not take a single economics course while I was there. Uh, my freshman roommate took it and said it was really hard, so yeah, that, that was enough. <laughs> so uh, I gravitated toward, toward math instead. Okay. After I graduated from there, um, I I went through in three years, so I graduated in 78. Um, Took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, Started a PhD program in sociology at UNC in Chapel Hill. Um, Year and a half, decided that one for me, dropped out, bounced around trying to find something that that clicked. uh, in one of those bounces, I was in uh, Washington, D.C., working for a nonprofit, and I decided I really needed to go back to school. And University of South Carolina offered me a full ride for their MBA program. So, <laughs> so I accepted that and moved down to Columbia, South Carolina, and in one semester decided I was about as far away from MBA material as you could possibly get. Um, Why so, is that? Why do you think you were not cut out for MBA? A little too much structure. Um, The the accounting just about killed me, not because it was hard, was because it was, I found it stifling. (laughs) Um, It is pretty rigid accounting. (laughs) Very rigid. Yeah, all those rules, just, I just kind of rebelled. Um, So um, I decided to switch into the PhD program in operations research, which is very quantitative. Um, Liked it just fine. Um, 
But at the end of the first year of that program, um, every PhD student in the College of Business had to take um, uh, an intermediate level kind of uh, microeconomics course. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, man, my day of reckoning is here. Um, so I'll take it in the summer. I can I can do anything for five weeks. I'll yep. take it in the summer. Accelerated course. Yeah. So I signed up with about four other people, three or four other people who were all there for exactly the same reason I was, which was we had to be there. It was taught by the chair of the department who was totally disdainful of us because he knew why we were there. We were not true believers. So uh, about, again, it's only five weeks. So before the end of the first week, maybe three days in, um, I, I, I swear a visible light bulb went off o- over my head. It was, it was amazing. It just, you can tell stories, you can draw graphs, and you can do the math. You can, you can do the calculus. And I just, I fell in love right there and right there. And he apparently saw that light bulb, uh, told me I should enter the PhD program in economics on, on the basis of that one course. Um, so I thought, well, what the heck? Now, what's the worst that can happen? What do you think he saw? Was it just the dedication you had, the, the aptitude for economics or the interest? What do you think he saw? I ask a lot of questions mm-hmm. um, just because this was this was just all new to me. I mean, just being able to marry, um, like I said, the, telling these really cool stories and showing it in graphical form and then, you know, working out the equation. And I know how geeky that sounds, but wow, oh, I was just in seventh heaven. Mm-hmm. And I ask a lot of questions and clearly um, I got it. So he was always on the lookout, as a good department yeah. chair should be. So his attitude changed toward you as part of that five <laughs> oh, yeah. coming in saying, they're just trying to get through this course, and I'm going to make yeah. their lives miserable. And then he saw something in you, and yeah. you saw it, too, that oh, yeah. it's like a light bulb went off. This is what I should be doing. And I that think you it. told me you were 24 years old when that yeah. occurred, right? So yeah. you'd gone to Bluffton College. I think you dabbled in sociology and then you know went to University of South Carolina, uh, was got into the MBA program, had a full ride, Mm -hmm. but that isn't, you knew that that isn't where your interests lie. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, well, I I was going to say, I was just ready to say, I wish I had realized that before, but if if I had, I probably wouldn't have found economics. Right. You know, it, it all leads to where you're supposed to go. Exactly. And I think the message here for young women is, uh, sometimes you do a lot of what you don't like to do to realize what you do like to do. Yep. And I spent, you know, a number of years doing kind of backroom administrative writing procedures, um, you know, a lot of a lot of very very detail work. And I'm good at it, but I don't like it, you know. And so I realized that I really needed to be have people interaction, sales, relationship building. And mm-hmm. it took me a while to get there and really have confidence that I could do it. So, uh, you know, perspective is is so important. Being able to take the long view is so important. Even when you're doing things that, as you say, you don't particularly like, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the back of your head should always be, how can I build on this? What is this teaching me about myself, about my abilities, about my um, ability to interact with, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever, but you can always you can always learn and grow even from experiences that feel like they're dead end. Mm-hmm. Indeed, no, I I learned a lot. I knew that I needed to surround myself with people that could do detail work, and count on them to do that work. But I needed to be out relationship building, selling that kind of thing. And it took me a while to realize that. Um, but the experience was good, and. Um, you know it when you get there, I think. I think that's yep. the message, too. It's kind of like when you were in that economics class, when I saw what people were doing on the mortgage banking side, I thought, I'm I'm a lender. I'm lending money, but I really want to be selling to people that are doing this and selling to people that want to borrow money. So that's what I just knew it. I just knew in my heart. And people were naysayers. They were like, what are you, what are you doing? I don't know if you had the naysayers, but like, what are you doing? You have the full, maybe with you, full ride, you know, yeah. University of South Carolina. What are you doing going over here to the economic side? Yeah, the dean, 
had a few words about that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But, but you knew, but right? I knew, yeah. yeah, and and you know, as long as you remain open to to having those revelations, um, but you know, I, I I think you turn out just fine. Mm-hmm. And and as you say, uh, you know, earlier you said you were good at a lot of things, and you know, sharp people are, smart people are. Doesn't mean you need to do them, and doesn't mean you like to do them. Exactly. Right. right? Yep. So you got the got the itch, got the bug to go into economics, yep. and so you got your PhD in economics, and mm-hmm. then you went. Uh, you were hired by the University of Memphis, mm-hmm. 1986. 1986, and so um, you're now with University of Cincinnati. You spent 26 years there. So I'd like to talk about that pr- career progression. So tell me about your experience at University of Memphis. How did how did you get the job? Um, why did you go there and so forth? This is 86, I know. And so, <laughs> yeah, things are thankfully different. Yes. Um, most people don't realize what the, the interview process used to be, up until very recently, actually, um, used to be for academia, um, at least economics. I assume all fields are the same. Um, you know, you send in your materials um, and then prospective universities contact you and set up a meeting with you at a conference. So when you're ready to have your meetings, um, the meetings are held in hotel rooms, or used to be. And economics is one of the most male-dominated still fields in existence, um, ranks up there with engineering. And when you walk into a hotel room as as a female job applicant, (laughs) you're walking into a small hotel room that's got like five, six men in it. Yeah. (laughs) Which is really off-putting, to put it mildly. (laughs) I mean, it's just, you you walk in and and you just, even though your head is saying, this is a job interview, nothing's going to happen. You kind (laughs) of clench up inside, you know, and then the door clicks behind you and you go, oh, holy crap. (laughs) What's going to happen now? now? (laughs) Yeah. And of course, there's not room for everyone to have a chair so men are kind of laying around on the bed and it's just (laughs) it's the most bizarre experience (laughs) so you go through that right uh so yeah i got hired at the university of memphis in 86 um i was explicitly told uh during the interview process during my campus visit because if you if you make the cut um in the hotel room (laughs) (laughs) And I know how that sounds, but <laughs> if you make the cut in the hotel room, then you're invited to make a presentation on campus and okay. make the rounds to meet everybody and all that kind of stuff. So um, I was told during the hotel room visit um, <laughs> and when I was on campus that uh, they wanted to hire a woman. And, th- and mm-hmm. that's why they were looking at me. Right. Um, and that was okay with me. Yeah, I understand that. That, that because, was okay. You know, plenty of times in our careers, I'm sure you've had the same experiences like, you know, they know they need diversity on a board or in, in a, uh, you know, a, an employment situation. They need diversity. Um, and they say, we need a woman. We need a woman. It's okay with me if they say, Susan, we need a woman. Would you be willing to, yeah, I'll do it. Yep. Uh, you know, you might, it might be a bit of tokenism, um, but there's a difference in diversity and inclusion. And we've talked about that on this <laughs> podcast. You know where I, what I'm saying here. Yes. It's like, okay, here's our here's our woman, see Julia, you know, here's Susan. We have a woman now. But then the inclusion part's a whole different matter. Yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so we had the woman, but it's like don't be speaking up or making any trouble or anything. Just you do you do your little woman job and and, and uh, don't don't try to compete with anyone, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the inclusion part was just non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a young woman, 26 years old. You're in the South, right? Yep. And you're the only woman. And frankly, you were the only woman on the faculty, except for the women in sort of the secretarial business office management uh, faculty within the business department, right? <laughs> yeah. They they had courses called keyboarding one and mm-hmm. two uh, at the time, which were clearly, Typing you know, classes, office, right? Yeah. yeah. So you know, secretarial courses. So that's not, that's not the same as being a, on faculty in the economics area. 
Uh, no, it, it, it's not. I mean, certainly economists feel that way. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> In all our arrogance. But yeah, um, but yeah it's not. I, I, and when we were speaking on the phone, I, I told you this story. I was still unpacking my boxes. Uh, in my office after I'd been hired, and and this woman appears, one of the office faculty, appears in my doorway and kind of arranges herself fairly dramatically in my doorway and introduces herself. And she, she looks me over and she says, you know, if you ever need any advice about how to properly dress, just come down the hall. I'm in room whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> this We're not going to hang out. <laughs> you were not my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this isn't going anywhere. But uh, yeah, I had the same experience. This was that was 86 or so. Yeah. Mine was in 1980. And it was my first job out of college uh, was Kissel Mortgage Company in Springfield, Ohio. And there was a woman in the HR area and I, I dressed professionally, but I did kind of vary with colors. You know, I didn't wear the dark suit all the time with a white shirt and the bow. The bow tie and right. the padded shoulders. bow tie. Yeah. Um, but I always wore a jacket. I always wore skirt, pantyhose, the whole thing. I was, I was as professionally dressed as anybody in that, in that company. Um, but um, one woman mentored me in the human resources area, I remember, and she gave me the book, John Malloy's book, How to Dress for Success. And there's a whole area in there. And he's since had another book about dressing for success. And I wrote a blog on it in my on my website, leadingshe.com, about what it's like to dress for success today. But back then, it was dark suit, white shirt, and little bow tie. Mm-hmm. And I don't it know was. how many of those little bow ties you had, but I had a lot of them. I didn't have any. You didn't have any. Oh, you were a rebel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, academia's got different rules. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so you got the advice, here's how you dress, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, thanks, but no thanks. But right? no thanks. And, you know, other little stuff. Like uh, when I arrived, um, there was a, an organization on campus called the Faculty Wives Club. Mm. So I contacted them. I was married to my first husband at the time. I contacted them and asked if I could join. And they said, well, no, correctly, pointing out to me that it's for faculty wives, and I was not one of those. And I said, well, can my husband join? (laughs) And because just poking the bear a little bit, and, you know, correctly again, they pointed out that no, he couldn't because he too was not a faculty wife. But the Faculty Wives Club was a very powerful Social. I mean, that that's how most of these guys across departments got to know each other. So through, they probably all got together. Yeah. Faculty wives was was a group, and they were a group, yep. and they got together for dinner and social functions. But you didn't quite fit the mold because you weren't a faculty wife, and your husband was not a faculty wife, right? Nope. So, no. yeah. Yeah, so that was a thing. Yeah. yeah. So were you included in that? or No. Okay. No. So, yeah, it's part of being on the outside. Yep. You know, and we've talked about that in this podcast is, you know, as we rise in our careers, there are times like that where you realize you are an outsider, you know, and then you you do your thing anyway, right? You. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not going to stop you that, to not be included, but it, do, it can influence, it can influence a lot of things in your career and your relationships, right? It, you know, it. It just pissed me off. And a, a lot I understand. of things. A lot of things pissed me off. And and you just kind of resolve to uh, you know, and, and I'll show you mm-hmm. kind of mentality. Right. So, you know, I out researched um, everybody else in the department, came up for tenure two years yeah, two years early. And uh, you know, that that's the best revenge. Yeah. It is the best revenge, yeah, to do just do your job, do it well, and not really, you know, prove that you don't need that to be successful. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Um, tell me tell me a little bit about your background, where you where you grew up, parents, siblings. I grew up in Bell Fountain, Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, 
the county seat of Logan County. Okay. First concrete street in America, highest point in Ohio, and I'm done. <laughs> that, that's the list. Um, Bell Fountain was um, actually, uh, when I was going through high school, it was remarkably progressive. Hmm. They had started my cohort, my class in eighth grade, with uh, teaching us algebra, which back then was a year early. And so by the time we all marched through Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry, Trig, when we got to be seniors, there was nothing left for us to take. So they hired somebody to teach us calculus and prob- probability and statistics. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there were three girls. I was one of three um, Out of girls. how many? Um, class one, very big. I'd say maybe a dozen. Okay. So... Um, in some ways, they were pretty progressive. Um, in other ways, not. My guidance counselor kept pushing me to take typing two and <laughs> and shorthand, which was yeah, a thing I then. Right, I took yeah. shorthand. My mom was really good at it. Yeah, yeah my business, mom. Business office education is what it was at my high yeah. school. Business yeah. office, that we learned typing, which is one of the best classes I've ever taken, by the way is to learn typing. Everybody had to take typing. Mm-hmm. Everybody had to take, boys and girls, had to take home ec. Okay. Everybody had to take shop. That's progressive. Isn't my, it? My high school is like the girls go to home ec and the boys go to shop. And if you right. have the nerve to go over and say, I want to take shop as a woman, you know, you were you were rebellious. We yeah. had some friends that did that. <laughs> I don't no, think everybody had to take it all. Yeah. Uh, and looking back, I think that's remarkable. Yeah, it is remarkable. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, so I went to Bell Fountain, uh, graduated in 75, so I have mm-hmm. a reunion coming up. <laughs> yeah, you do. So fast they roll around. Yeah. Um, neither one of my parents went to college. Okay. Um, both were just whip smart, but, that, you know, mm-hmm. nobody, just nobody did that. My dad had to take care of his mom. So that was out, and mom was the next to youngest of 12 kids. You know, just wasn't going to happen. But college was never talked about in my house as an option. Hmm. It was when. Oh, when you're going. So it was was really pushed or, like, encouraged. It it was understood. Mm -hmm. It It was like the air. Okay. <laughs> you breathe in, you breathe out, you're, you're going, going to college. To college. Yeah. yeah. What did your dad and mom do for professions? Uh, my mom was a secretary at an insurance office. Okay. Um, the only one of my immediate circle of friends, um, moms who worked, uh, she was the only one. We had to have her work mm-hmm. um, to, to make the extra money. Uh, my dad suffered through 25 years of being um, a life insurance salesman for Metropolitan Life. Oh, wow. He got a lot of, uh, and I say suffered, because he got a lot of grief from his supervisors because they kept wanting to promote him. Oh. But he kept turning them down, which was a clear indication to them that he was uh, not a company man, not a team oh. player. And he turned him down because it would have taken more time away from us. Oh. Um, the field office was in Lima, and he would have had to spend a lot more time in Lima. Hmm. And he wanted to spend time with his family. Oh, that's so, really cool. It I have was... an older sister, eight years older. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also went to college, so she mm-hmm. was the first. Um, she also has a PhD. She has mm-hmm. an EDD, excuse me. Um, so, Yeah. Yeah, neat. Um, you and I share that in common. We both grew up in small towns. And not everybody from my high school went to college. I mean, it was maybe 25% went to college. And that many people right. still live in New Carlisle. You yes. Know? Do you find that too? Yes. They, they haven't really moved out of out of the city, you know, or out of that area. Yep. And um, did you ever feel as though you were breaking away from something? Uh, did you ever feel... Uh, made to feel inferior or maybe not as sophisticated with to compared to you know people at universities that might have come from bigger cities. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I guess if I have to think about it, um, the answer is no. Okay. Um, I remember when I started the PhD program at UNC um, in Chapel Hill in sociology. I remember feeling because uh, at the time it was like the third best program in the country. Mm-hmm. 
And I was amazed that I got in with, with my with my little BA from Bluffton College. Um, so I was surprised that I got in. And, and when I looked around, there were people with degrees from very fancy places. So yeah, that nobody made me feel that way. I, I, I took that all on by myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember feeling that when I, you know, I came from a small town. I went to Wright State University, great school, mm -hmm. got a degree, worked very hard to get the degree. And uh, I was in banking uh, after Kissel Mortgage Company. And I just remember thinking, there is a lot I really need to watch and learn about the uh, sophistication of the world, about financial analysis, about how do you conduct yourself in a, a customer setting. I just, I was just a sponge. Really? Yeah, and it was all different than how I how I grew up. I mean, my mom demonstrated to me a professional. Uh huh. You know, she was a professional, and but I just felt like I really, you know, I came from a, a small town, grew up in a small town, which I loved, but you know, that there was a level of sophistication in the world that I really had to learn. Huh. Yeah. I I imagine that you felt that more than I did because academia is such its own mm -hmm. little world, its own right. little enclave, and, and the rules are just different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more relaxed. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's not as structured. Right. And you had said, uh, quoting you here, you said academia is not a pretty place. Um, it you, can. It can. What do you mean yeah. by that? The stakes are very high. Um, uh, what a lot of people don't know with uh, the whole tenure and promotion thing, you know, if you fail to make tenure, it's not like you just you just have this little mark by your name <laughs> yeah. on the faculty roster. Um, if you don't make tenure, you're fired. Yeah. So you know you have this period of time. Um, usually it's about six years or so. You have this period of time, and it's, it's you know, go big or you're out of job. Yeah. So um, it, it, can get, it can get pretty nasty. Mm -hmm. um, my experiences as a woman there, um, I was the first female tenured um, okay. in the department. Um, Ultimately, I received uh, unanimous support from my department um, on my TNP on my tenure and promotion package. Okay, um, that was not a smooth journey. Mm -hmm. Because you were advancing pretty fast there. I to was get, to get to that area. They, I mean, I think you probably surprised people by how yes how how you were really on the fast track and you were doing things faster than others, right? Yes, and so. Uh, were there men that felt competitive with that? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, many instances. Uh, there were there was this uh, group of older faculty that would just kind of congregate in the hall, mm -hmm. you know, just shooting the breeze. When I would walk past them, um, they would. There was a ringleader, of course as is the case with these things. Um, when I would walk past them, the ringleader would say just vile, nasty things, ostensibly to the to people them. in the group, but purposefully loud enough for me to hear. Right. Um, sexual things, you know, that, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And, and, you know, they would all just guffaw and laugh and, you know, and I took that for a while. Um, and then one day I just had enough. And, yeah. and I walked up to him and using uh, words that I will not repeat. Um, oh, thank you. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> <clears throat> um, suggested that if, if he actually did those things to me, that his heart wouldn't be able to take it and I'd kill him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what that did was the rest of the group just lost it. They just thought that was just tremendously hilarious. Right. That was a hoot and a holler, as they right. say. And, and a uh, cool. That was the end of that. So it shut him down. Shut him so right you're down. you're walking by, and these guys, you know, there's a ringleader, and there are a bunch of other guys, and yep. they're doing their male bonding thing. Yeah. And then here she comes. So the ringleader says something like, wouldn't I like to do this or that or what, you know, whatever he says. And then you walk by and they're waiting for you to blush and they all, you know, think that's funny. But then you, you said it, you know, you, you threw it back at him and said something. I turned around and I walked back. Right. Uh, this was not 
on the first one, though, I, I took this for right. for quite some time and then just decided that, you know. That was enough. That was enough. Yeah. Yeah, we, we need to shut this down. Yeah. I had a similar experience. I didn't remember it until just now where um, I was part of a, a peer group within my industry, all guys and me. And, um, you know, I was walking out of the room with from the guys to go to the restroom and they said, Susan, we're going to go to Hooters for lunch. What do you think? And I said, I'll go to Hooters the first time there's a restaurant named Balls. <laughs> and I shut the door and kept walking. <laughs> and they were hysterical, hysterical. You know, but the, I think the message here is that that use hu- humor, you know, you can use humor yeah. if it lands right. And it's not it's not cutting, you know, but I think both of those were I think both of those comments were you have to be quick. Right. You have to be quick. And if they do it and do it and do it, you have to be kind of ready for yep. the time. You know, so you were ready for him. I was ready. Yeah. I didn't know I was going to, you know, it's not like I, I went back to my apartment and thought, okay, now the next time, this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> um, it, it just it just got to where yeah. enough was enough. Right. And I did it just like, hey, I'm not I'm not going to a Hooters, you know, I'm just yeah. not. And, uh, and if, you know, the minute they find another restaurant with a <laughs> male part <laughs> name, uh, I will, I will do that. I, I'll go there. Uh, but that is so, fu- <laughs> so that, that just triggered a memory for me. Yeah. So I started in Memphis in August. Um, I'm, you know, brand new, just out of the package assistant professor in November um, there's a professional conference called the Southern Economic Association Conference, and that year it was in New Orleans. And so me and a lot of the guys in my department and a couple of the guys from the finance department uh, went out to dinner. I'm the only woman because she's the only woman. Right. So we go out to dinner, and then one of the finance professors were walking out of the restaurant um, down, you know, down in the quarter. And one of the finance professors um, kind of breaks off and goes across the street, and he's talking to, you know, a hawker on on the street. And we realize, finally, that he's trying to negotiate a group rate for us to get into the strip bar. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, I am I am not ready for this. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And, and I went in. <clears throat> okay. I went in. And so... We're all sitting in the front seats. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I, I have never more felt like I had just fallen off the turnip truck. I mean, you know, they did not have these in Bluffton <laughs> or I Bell Fountain. And yeah. what the heck? And so, um, you know, women are out there doing their thing. And then a guy comes out. Oh. And, of course, I'm, I'm one of, like, two women in this place. And he is all up in my business. And again, I'm just feeling like the biggest hick there ever was. And finally, my department chair was sitting next to me. He's yeah. one of the group. And he leans over and he said, do you want to move to the back? Said, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> so we got up and moved to the back. And finally, I said, I, I've got to get out of here. I have got to get out of here. Yeah. And so he he walked back to the hotel with me, but yeah. nobody even thought maybe we shouldn't do this. It was uh, boys will be boys no matter right. who's with us. Right. Yeah. I've had the experience where, and this was in the 80s, you don't see it as much today, but uh, these large conferences that I would go to and it would be me and maybe one other woman and like, I don't know, 60 guys. Yep. And after dinner, they would just disappear. And, you know, one guy made the mistake of saying, hey, you want to go out with us? And then he, he like, came up later. He said, well, we're going out to, you know, this yeah. this club. And, yeah. Uh, so they would all disappear. And it's like, where did everybody go? And then I figured out where everybody went. Yeah. They went to the local, you know, strip joint. And, uh, you know, I went back to my room. <laughs> so, but then, you know, the thing is, what do you do in that circumstance? You know, if, if you're all like, okay, group rate, we're all going in. Okay, here's what we're doing. Would you be a poor sport if you didn't go, you know? What do you, yeah. what do you think? I 
I, in retrospect, I, I should, I think it's pretty obvious, I should not have gone. Yeah. Um, but I you was, guys go, have fun. Have fun, you know. Because I, they can't don't really call let me loose from jail. with you there, right? You know, and maybe yeah. that's what they want to do. I don't know, but. I just, I wasn't quick enough on my feet. And and I, I just allowed myself to be swept up in, well, okay. I guess this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Right. And, yeah. It's interesting they had a guy come out, though. You know, and strip, right? Yeah. Well, it was <laughs> certainly one of fifty fifty, but it was a somewhat equal opportunity strip club. So Yeah, I didn't even enjoy that part. <laughs> no. It's like was, I'm gonna go now. Yes. Was mortified. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well you had um you had another incident at University of Memphis that we talked about, um, and it was uh, pretty blatant uh harassment. Um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, okay. It was, uh, again, one, maybe two years in. So I was still very new. Um, uh, another member of the department, um, not an assistant professor, had a rank higher than me, um, came into my office one time, shut the door. We had a okay conversation, um, I stood up, he stood up, I stood up because I was going to follow him out. Mm -hmm. And when I stood up, um, he grabbed me by my upper arms and pushed me against the wall and tried to kiss me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, wasn't ready for that either. Mm. Um, I, I tried to push him away. I told him, um, you know, get out now or I'm going to start screaming. Um, so he left. Um, looking kind of sheepish. Um, so he left, and I went down to the bathroom and threw up. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And... Um, I said nothing You said anyone. nothing, yeah. And the consequence of saying something might have affected your tenure, probably would have, right, and your, your progress to tenure? I, I think that it would have, mm -hmm. um, even after all these. I, I mean, it, this is not something that traumatizes me by any means. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I rarely think about it. Um, but first of all, I, I didn't feel like there was anyone to tell. Mm -hmm. This is back in about 87? 87 or 88. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't feel like there was anyone to tell. Right, like a human resources area where any kind of harassment you tell us, kind of thing, the whole Me Too movement. Oh. There was nothing like that back no. then. You no. Know, for us. Um, my department chair was a um, very nice guy. He was the one that got me out of the strip club. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, very nice guy, but I didn't – this was this was too close to the bone. for mm -hmm. I, 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 I never considered – him an outlet for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Or um, you could go to him in confidence, mm -hmm. and and he would support you. I I don't I don't know that I had confidence that he would know what to do with it either. Mm -hmm. um, like like the comments with this little group of men in the hall. I I never complained to anybody. Right. I yeah. just kept walking until the yeah. one day I didn't. Right. Um, and today you can't. You know, none of that stuff really can happen. Well, I, mean, I the hope consequence, not. <laughs> the consequences of that, I mean, are pretty dire uh, these yeah. days. And so men are much more careful t to the extreme, I think. I think some guys are, this is before the, the virus, but it's like, hey, Susan, you know, good to see you. Can I hug you? You know, it's like, well, sure, you can hug me. Oh, good grief. You know, I mean, come on. Just be a person. So there, yeah. there's, there's reluctance sometimes to, you know, talk to you and getting you into a conversation. And yeah, there's, there's, it's changed a lot. Yeah. And I mean, I used to, you know, guys used to tell off-color jokes. I would tell off-color jokes, and it was sort of expected and yeah. kind of being one of the boys, you know. Yep. that's I did that. Yep. Uh, but it's not done today. Yeah. It's not done today. But but that in that instance, which was a horrible instance, I'm sorry you had to go through that, um, with him, what, what were the circumstances with him? I mean, did he feel competitive with you, and he just – do you feel like he was trying to put you in your place – or what do you think? Yeah, I think most assaults like this, I, I don't think it was an attraction thing as much as it was a power thing. Power thing. It's yeah. not really about sex. It's about power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And much of the sexual harassment instances you hear about 
are really about dominance and power. Yeah. You know, it's not about sex. It's really, you know, while you wouldn't call maybe call that rape, it is a sexual assault, you know. Uh, yeah, it's on the on the low end of the continuum, certainly. Right. But um, but yeah, it, it was an assault. Um, so, no, I, I don't feel like I had anyone to tell. But, you know, if I'm honest with myself and with you... Um, even if I if I had a clear line of someone to go to who I knew would be sympathetic and confidential, all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if I would have done it. Yeah, but I understand that. I um, understand that. It it would have, I'm very sure, it would have had consequences for right. my my tenure prospects. And mm-hmm. as I explained earlier, um you get tenured or you're fired. Right. And so those are pretty big stakes and mm-hmm. um so like you know i look back on that and, and i think to some maybe a large extent um i sold out hmm. um it it's a it was a conscious decision i made at the time mm-hmm. and to be very completely honest i don't know if i would have made a different one i i understand it i mean i can't say that i would have made a different uh choice either honestly um, I think you shut it down, you know, you said, get out of my office or I'll scream. I mean, you shut it down. It's not like you went along with it or felt like there was, you know, um, that you had to do it for any reason, you know, you didn't compromise your standards. You shut it down yourself. But and you- and it, there was no reoccurrence. I had that benefit. It's not mm-hmm. like I had to deal with some kind of ongoing mm-hmm. Uh, harassment or assault. Right. Um, I was worried. I mean, all of the people in the department who are uh, above you in rank vote on your TNP package. Mm-hmm. And so I did have the worry. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was just one vote, but I don't know what he's telling other people. Right. Um, but none of that came to be. It was, yeah. you know, ended up being yeah. unanimous. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. I understand it. I understand it. Um I, there's no judgment on my part because I probably would have done the same thing. There was no real safe place to land back then. No. To to say, hey, here's what happened, and there would be consequences in your career. You shut it down, and you hope you kind of wished it didn't affect your tenure, right? Yeah. So, yep. I get it. You had said that um, you're a feminist. What is that? And I'm a feminist too. What does that mean to you? You and I share the share something in common. Back in the '80s, when we got married, we didn't change our names, which a lot of women did, and most vast most, majority most did. Yeah, and, uh, was really not understood. What does being a feminist mean to you? Well, I, you know, any anything I say, I think is just going to sound trite. Um, it it means, um, of course, equal access. Um, equal opportunity, but it also means it also means valuing the ways in which women are different. Um, it it's not you know I, I keep going back to the the little uniforms of, of the eighties with the padded shoulders and the and yes. the little <clears throat> ribbon bow ties. And right. It, you know it it shouldn't mean how can we be more male than men. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it should be valuing different paths mm-hmm. and and putting equal value on those paths, not that not that all the paths have to be the same. Right. Yeah. Understood. And with the name I I never considered that a feminist statement. No, I didn't either. I just <clears throat> was, did, I liked my name. I didn't see any good reason to change it. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I, I I'm with you. I, I still don't I, why why would I I mean, it's not like there's anything great about Heath, but um, <laughs> it's your name, right? But it's my name, you know. It's like an old pair of jeans, you know. They, it fits me just fine, and yeah, you know, it's almost why like I... taking another identity because I got married. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just felt like that. It was no feminist statement at all. But yeah. some people think, you know, think you know, make those assumptions. But um, the only the only trick is then when you have kids, and yeah. as we talked on the phone, but our poor daughter, um, we hyphenated her, so her last name is Heath, Heath hyphen born. born, right? And yeah. we, my husband and I, briefly uh, while I was pregnant, we briefly tossed around the idea of all of us taking a new last name uh, that's a combination of Heath and Born. Mm-hmm. 
and we got as far as Hebo and... Yeah, don't go there. Shut, shut that right down. I mean, it's okay. Hyphen it is. Right, hyphen it is. Yeah. Well, your daughter Maggie just graduated from college, I believe. and uh, From a master's program. Master's program. At UC. Okay, at and, UC yeah. and uh, in communications, yep. I believe. Rhetoric. What is it called? Rhetoric. Rhetoric, okay. Which, as near as I can tell, means she likes to argue. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> I wish they had that degree when I was when I was younger. Um, but so, tell me about you know what your hope is for her, and if you had to give her advice if she asked you for it uh, in her her career. And she has she has a long career ahead of her, um, and there's it's a long road, and yeah. you can have many you have many choices. And again, doing what you don't like to do necessarily to finding out what you like to do, the light bulb. What do you hope for her? And if she goes into a male-dominated field or, you know, is is out there competing, what, what would you say? I, I think all women, um, for all women, it's not a matter of if you're going to face overt or implicit um, discrimination or harassment. I, I it, it's, it's a matter of when. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an if. And I think that the responses you make to that um, will, you know, they'll, they'll change mm-hmm. um, over the course of women becoming who they are and finding their own voice and finding their own level of comfort. Um, as you said earlier, I think the more you can use humor um, to deflect but still make a point. Yes. You don't you don't want to just laugh it off. You want to make a point. Make a point, but make it light so that it's not cutting and just like, how could you say that to me, you know, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because that's lot. easy. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a tool that really really works well. Right. Um because if if you if you respond to every slight that you're going to yes, <laughs> to encounter <laughs> Uh, one, it's exhausting. It is exhausting to always be on in the foxhole ready for somebody to offend you. Yeah, right? that's right. It's exhausting. Um, and and it, it signals to other people that you can't roll with things. Right. And, and there's no doubt that those kinds of, of triggers, nobody should have to roll with. Right, right. And there are some that are but, slight and you can kind of overlook. And there yeah. are others where they just really... You have to address them. You have to address it and go to HR. Right, right. Yep. Yeah. And But being able to discern the difference and being able to decide what you're going to spend your energy on mm-hmm. um, is a really important skill mm-hmm. uh, to develop. Right, yeah. So, you know, it's – and you're going to, you know, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah, yeah, we all do. And, they, yep. and it'll be a different landscape for her than it was for us. Yep. And, well, I sure uh, hope so. It's better. <laughs> yeah, I think it will be better. It's not, it's not there yet where it needs to be, in my opinion, in terms of equality and and pay and not just pay, but just treatment and you know promotions. There's a lot of socially, you know, inbred, um, you know, sy- systemic um, bias that exists in workplaces that you know often isn't seen, and uh, and women you know, will face it. You know, women in their 20s and 30s will face it. So, but we have to speak up. When, when, you, um, when you do research on men's and women's wages, when you hold everything else constant, and by everything else I mean things like um, level of education and years of tenure and current job and, mm-hmm. you know, geographic location, all of that, when you hold all of that constant, men get rewarded in terms of more pay um, when they have children. Hmm. Women do not. Hmm. It, just the opposite. So there's research on that. There are stats on that, oh, yeah. that, that that say that men earn more when they have children. Women do not. Yep. They earn less. Yeah. Because the prevailing feeling still 
is that women are going to be the primary caregiver mm-hmm. uh, for children and for uh, for elder care. Right, and they won't have the time and dedication to devote to. That's right. To uh, yeah, I understand. Yep. Well, my last question for you, and we'll wrap up, is um, what's chapter two for you when you retire, or will you retire? <laughs> December of 2022. I already have a so you've got a date. Already have a date. Yeah, right. my board knows. Um, okay. Yeah, that's great. What are you going to do then? I don't know. Yeah, you got time. I don't know, and and it. I don't have hobbies really. Hmm. I I mean you know it's it's not like oh well now I can explore this artistic side that I, mean, I don't have an artistic side. <laughs> I mean, you know. I don't like gardening. I, I want to like gardening, but I don't like gardening. Do you golf at all? No, I used to. Okay. I used to be a really good golfer. I bet. You, you're tall. You look athletic. Yeah, I can get, get a lot out, of club head speed you. when you're tall. Yeah, yeah. you do. Um, yeah, my husband has played, you know, he's going to the driving range like, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah. So that would be a solo activity. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm starting to feel a little anxious that I should have a plan because I have plans. <laughs> yes. I don't know how you get through life without plans. Right. But um, but I don't have a plan. Yeah. You've got time. You've got time to figure it out. Maybe it's yeah. just travel and maybe you'll have grandkids. Well, you've got grandkids, but uh, maybe Maggie will. Who knows? Yeah. The future more will be revealed to you. We like hiking. Uh, yeah. So, so it's not like we don't have any hobby we um we love to go hiking so um we're thinking about moving down to the Asheville area yeah my husband and I were signed up for a four-day hike in Asheville that they just canceled because they've closed all the parks in North Carolina yeah which is a shame because of the virus yeah yeah we had a um every year we go somewhere kind of big to go hiking and last year we went to Iceland hiking okay and this year uh we were going to Switzerland okay not now. <laughs> no, not now. We did the Grand Canyon last summer yeah. for five days. It was wonderful. We love hiking, too. Yeah. So, you know, hiking, but there's just so much of that you can do. Right, right. So I don't know. Yeah, you'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Confident. Mi- mixed feelings about the retirement thing. Yeah. There will be other things to do. Yeah. I hope so. Julia, thanks for coming in. Thank I really you so appreciate much. love talking to you and getting to know you better. Oh, thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at Leading She and visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders.